Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. The worst things to be right about are things like this. When we talked legitimately, what was it, not even 48 hours ago, about how the moment the holiday weekend started is when the coaching announcement would come. So here we are, Derek Lalonde announced as new head coach of the Detroit Red Wings. Mere moments you can hear in the background, I'm, I'm not at home, so my audio is going to be a little bit different today. Um, we're here with an emergency podcast. Yes, did, this did cross the threshold for an emergency podcast, joined by obviously Brad Crisco, good friend of the pod- podcast, uh, Prashant Iyer. And Prashant, is this your the brains behind your operations with you, this insider we have? Yeah, this is um, this is the insider. He runs the models. He runs the numbers. He actually is the one that tweets. So every time you get mad at me for saying something negative, it's him. So you're actually getting mad at a baby. You're getting mad at a nine, ten month old on Twitter. So good for you. Okay, Tampa Bay assistant coach uh, Derek Lalonde, and it's not Lalonde. It's the traditional French pronunciation Lalonde, which was uh, good to know today. Uh, has been announced as new head coach of the Detroit Red Wings. Eisenman and Chris Illich uh, just held the press conference with him. Let's just get initial reactions here uh, to this news. It's exciting. I mean, uh, he's it's, it, you finally have the coach in place. You're, it's there before the draft, which I think everyone was hoping for, and especially with a lot of the dominoes falling in. And, and I think the press conference sort of went exactly as you were expecting for people who knew Lalone. Um, and what he had done in, in prior stops, uh, he, he really seems to be that sort of excellent communicator. And I thought basically said that, said as much as that um, all the way through. And that was sort of the emphasis on what he wants to see here. Yeah, I'm, you know, going back to what we were talking about a few weeks ago or months ago now when Blasio was let go. Um, it's going to be hard to get a gauge on what the new coach is going to be if it's not a retread, but um, yeah, he seems to check all the boxes that Eisman wanted. He seems to have the right personality for it in terms of being the guy a to lead the young guys to the next steps in their career and b still being the guy when this team crosses, crosses the threshold to actually being good. So overall, I, I don't have a lot of in-depth analysis on him because all his head coaching experience came at lower levels. But it all seems positive and everything we've heard seems positive. So, you know, we were going to be excited for change no matter what, because change was needed. And um, he was at worst, one of the better candidates available. So I think I'm pretty happy here. Yeah, like you both have mentioned, there's it's hard to be mad at something when a you, you don't have that body of work as an NHL head coach, um, to say the least. So it's not like NHL players where only a small fraction of a percentile of the population can be a top level NHL player. There are countless people who could be fantastic NHL coaches and like orders of magnitude more than you'd have from a a selection of players. So there are a ton of different ways Eisman could have gone. He could have gone even with an experienced NHL head coach and probably had just as much success as we're hoping to have with Derek Lalone. But yeah, I agree. You know, he's had, he's taught me if you've heard this before, he's had success at all levels um, his connection to Tampa Bay, obviously with the two cups, almost a third, but was also incredibly successful in his time with, uh, with the Toledo walleye. So that's very close to the, uh, the Red Wings organization. 
He had a stint in Iowa and in the USHL with the Green Bay Gamblers. Um, he was named, what was it? He was named uh, head coach of the year in uh, the USHL and the uh, ECHL. So that was with Green Bay and with, with the Walleye. So he's got the pedigree. He's got everything you wanted from a coach, uh, especially if you didn't want the retread. So are you going to be ringing the bells and saying the cup is coming? No, one coach isn't going to do that. But it's enough here in my mind to be optimistic. I think you have to be optimistic. Uh, again, you know, digging into some of the uh, stuff that you were saying. I mean, when he was in the USHL, the year he won Coach of the Year, I think his team went forty-nine and nine. Um, that's ridiculous. I know it's the USHL, but that is a ridiculous record as a head coach in any capacity. And I actually got to talk to some folks um, who have either played with uh, Lalone or played under Lalone or worked with him and. I mean, everybody just talks about night and day. He makes such a positive impact in the room. He is someone you are excited to be around. He's someone who takes the time to connect with people individually, get to know them on a, on sort of a personal level, and then finds the right buttons to push with each person. There is no one-size-fits-all approach with him. He's very much about empowering his players' individuality. And one of the things I, I heard from one of his former players was, You know, he'll often come to you and because it's this shared decision making partnership that he's interested in, he'll say, hey, if you can work on this one aspect of your game for me, I'm giving you all the freedom in the world to do this other thing that you do really well. And the example the the former player gave me was, you know, this player was particularly bad on defense and the head coach uh, would always come down and and, and rip him, be like, hey, you got to get your man. You got to follow your man. Like, what are you doing? And then Lone would always come behind and say, you know, hey, it's all right. We'll figure it out. This is what I want you to work on. But once you do that and you transition the puck into the offensive zone, do what you need to do. Do your do your stuff. Do your style because that's you. That's what you do well. And so I, I sort of get the impression that he's going to be able to work on the things that need to be worked on without necessarily beating out the qualities of the players that, that maybe do things that are harder to find and harder to coach. Yeah, one of the things I was reading on uh, Lalone's uh, philosophy was something that uh, became a pretty prominent discussion when the Canadians hired Martin St. Louis in the sense that he's he really preaches defensive structure, know your role, know your responsibility, know your assignment, you know, completely sell out 110% every time. But he doesn't overcoach the offense. He He allows players to be creative and like you were just alluding to. Do your thing. So, you know, if Zadina is coming up the wing, hey, man, don't overthink it. Just rip it high, blocker side, whatever you want to do. Or if Raymond comes in, hey, you want to handle the puck for 30 seconds, dance through three, making a play, go for it. Do do what you need to do, whatever that might be. Hey, Dylan, you want to make 37 laps of the offensive zone before you make up your mind? Fine. So that that to me is probably the most exciting thing that I've read of everything about Lalonde's philosophy. Obviously, the people skills, the coaching skills in terms of how he interacts with players are the key. But in terms of the on-ice stuff, I think this is how you succeed in the modern NHL because A, as we as Prashant alluded to, it allows players to play to their strengths. And from a strategy standpoint, it doesn't allow the opposition to game plan for you because you could be rolling four different lines with four different offensive strategies. You know, you get the Adam Ernie's coming in the world and they're just going to chip and chase and beat you into the ground every time they forecheck. And then you get 
you know, Larkin, Bertuzzi, Raymond coming up and they're not going to let you touch the puck. So I think that creates a lot of interesting opportunities and interesting matchup possibilities, especially on home ice. So I am, I'm actually really, really excited to see what he can do with the offensive player specifically. I want to get more into that in just a moment, but one last point about the, I think, summarized players coach uh, style that Lalone purportedly has is he mentioned in the presser when asked about the playoffs, the, he, he had a very Eisenman-esque answer where he said, you know, I would want to temper expectations, basically saying we're not going to measure success by wins and making the playoffs next year. The quiet part there is that this team, as it's constructed right now, we'll see what Eisenman does this offseason, isn't a playoff roster. And we know that based on last season. So Lalone and all of us understand he has a team that's still transitioning, but we've seen the importance of keeping a Dylan Larkin motivated. We've seen the importance of making sure Mo Sider and Lucas Raymond are in a system that doesn't beat them down and doesn't create, you know, an imbalance against their development because they're just losing repeatedly. Um, so how do you do that? How do you coach a team through the tail end, maybe the last 20% of a rebuild while still keeping a winning mentality? If you're a player's coach, you're, you're well positioned to do it. So by no means am I guaranteeing it, but if, if that's what Lalone can do, that is kind of exactly what Eisenman is looking for. And it also gives him a lot of runway. You know, we're not going to be having a, is Lalone the right guy conversation in one to two years from now? Yeah, I mean, the, the point that really goes home to driving, driving that home is exactly, basically the first answer Lalone gave, what, which was what's the first thing he's going to do now that he's here in Detroit. And it's, it's establishing those relationships, establishing the culture, understanding what drives each player, understanding how to connect with each player. And that's where even if you don't get into those results right out of the get-go, which we know we shouldn't be expecting, you're still building the right process. You're building the right foundation to succeed once you start adding more and more of those talented guys. Ah, that word process. We heard plenty of that today. He came just short of saying trust the process, but Lalone preached the process a lot. He said, you know, we're not going to put a benchmark on the board to say, yeah, we're going to get 62 wins or anything. He's like, we're going to be tighter defensively. We're going to work on our risk management. We are going to do this and that. Basically naming different facets of the game and developing good habits. And this shouldn't be a surprise because this is almost word for word what Eisenman was looking for. Um, what do we make of Lalone's approach to how he views the process, quote unquote? Well, I think because of the last seven years, that word doesn't doesn't really hold that well with Wings fans anymore. But I also don't fully think people appreciate what it means. If you have every coach has a process, let's just be clear about that. If you have a good process and a bad team, what you're doing is you're establishing a foundation for when you have a good team. So if you have this defensive system this transition system, this power play, this PK, and they're legitimately good systems, but you don't have the players to fully maximize it, but you still establish it and everybody buys in. Then all of a sudden, when you have the Lucas Raymond's, Mo Sider, Simon Edvinson's, you know, Albert Johansson's in this system, and they're all playing the same system. Now it's effective. There's no transition period from a bad team to a good team because of something the coach is doing, because the coach is trying to change something, because the culture is bad, because everything is uniform, everything is in order, everybody buys in. Then when the team's ready to be good, they will be good. 
that's what that means. Yeah. I mean, look at Colorado, right? That's a classic example. Jared Bednar steps in 16, 17, and that team's awful. I mean, that, that team is literally a 48 point team uh, that season, but because his process is good, he gets the buy in of the star players. And then obviously, Colorado goes out and adds talent uh, from the draft and, and Byram and McCarr and, and obviously all these other supporting cast players. By the time we hit 2021, 2022, they are a juggernaut. And that's a team that has everybody that's bought in. And that's exactly what you're looking for. You may not see those results year one. You may not see them year two. But if you're getting the buy-in and you're getting the right people in in place, um, things will work. Now, one point I'll expand on of what Brad just said is just because you say trust the process doesn't mean your process is actually any good. The Wings process was not good for the last seven years. So even though we bought into the process, the process still wasn't good. And, and, and so you can say you want to do that and you want to follow that, but you have to actually have a good process. So Malone's coming in with a fresh start. He has a fresh slate. We haven't seen his process. We don't know what it looks like, but I can at least say I like the idea of following the process over the results. Now it just comes down to can his process be a good process for this team? It's almost a foolish question because you never know what Steve Eisenman's is going to do next. But let's anticipate him not making any monumental waves this offseason. You can only add so much, maybe solidifies the defense a little bit more, maybe add someone at the Pew suitor level in terms of center depth, no game-breaking number 2C. What is What does success look like for Derek Lalone in the Red Wings next season? And what's the timeline on you know that process playing out into a potentially successful Red Wings team? There's a few ways to look at it, and I don't think any of them are particularly complicated. In order to judge, I should say, versus what Lalonde has to do. What Lalonde has to do is very complicated. But I think it's probably safe to say the Red Wings roster this upcoming season is going to be fairly similar. Minor changes, slight upgrades, but we're going to be looking at a lot of the same players. Is the defensive structure adequate are they getting caved constantly are we seeing the same problems so even if the red wings lose the exact same amount of games this year but almost all those games are losing by one or two that's improvement even if the red wings lose every single the exact same amount of games next year zadina pops in 20 goals michael rasmussen's flirting with 20 goals philip heronic isn't a defensive and turnover train wreck okay, that's a very obvious, notable improvement. And for me, those are the only two things, not only, but like primary two things I'm looking at. The players that we expected more from is Lalonde getting more from them. The systems that we watched absolutely collapse time and time again the last few years, are are those now stable? Is the PK not bottom three in the league? Is the power play not sputtering at most points in the season is the defensive structure actually a structure. So again, wins and losses are good. I would hope the team doesn't regress in the standings, but I don't expect them to progress for me to look at it as a successful first year for Lalonde. Yeah, I I completely agree with what you said there, Brad. I think there's maybe a couple of areas that you definitely want to see get better. I think first and foremost, you cannot be a historically awful defensive team again. Uh, You know, the Wings gave up 3.78 goals per game last year. That's the fifth most by any team since 95-96. 
You can't do that. You can't you can't come out and have that type of season again, particularly when you're also in the top 10 in the season prior from 2019-2020 at 3.73. You can't have multiple years like this in a row. I don't care how bad your team is. This is we're not talking about a once in a 30-year generation team. So, you have to be better defensively. You have to find a way to um, get the saves you need. You have to find a way to limit the quality chances against. I think that's the biggest area I'm looking for improvement. Your average goal differential cannot be minus one over an 82-game season. You cannot finish a season at minus 80 or more in goal differential. That is just unacceptable. Um, so that's the that's the first spot that I think needs to be better. The second spot has to be on special teams. Again, for the last five years, the Red Wings power play has been atrocious. Um, their penalty killing the last three years has hovered towards the bottom of the league, including at times flirting with the worst power play you know, in, in recent history. I mean, their, their penalty kill this past year was at 73.8%, which I think is one of the worst, uh, one of the five worst, again, since 95-96. So there's, there's things that have to be better, and there's very easy things to, to make better. Just don't have it be historically awful. Just just have it be a little bit better. Have it be, you know, within the the, the, the top 25 of the league, not looking at being one of the worst teams the last 30 years. So those are the areas that I want to see improve. Special teams, uh, defense, and then obviously the young player development, like you said. I think making sure that the guys that are doing the work and, and, and putting the puck in the net are the guys you want that are going to be a part of your core moving forward. And I think that's the, uh, just if you have a measure of, if you want a measure of how excited or amped up the Red Wings fans are, I think that's the Wing Wheel Podcast Patreon exclusive Discord you hear going in the background. So, uh, keep, oh yeah. There's, uh, when Lalone was talking about his assistance, he made a point to talk about uh, Alex Tange, who's obviously staying traditionally how it goes with coaches. And this doesn't hold true all the time, but, you know, the GM gets a guy and the coach gets a guy. So view Alex Tange as Eisman's guy. The funny thing is they didn't quite cross paths, but they both have uh, links to the Iowa Wild from the AHL, where they both came from, uh, from one one point or another. And he views Tangay as a great offensive mind. And then he noted that his priority is going to, aside from you know making a connection with the players, is going to be to hire an assistant coach on more of the defensive side of the game. So I know there was a lot of talk, um, you know, heard some noise about possibly Jeff Halpern coming over from Tampa Bay with Lalone. Um, that hasn't been consistent, though. There have been other rumors floating around. What do you make of uh, of the uh, his coaching staff assistance and what you'd look for in terms of the type of coach he'd bring in? I think it'd have to be someone that obviously can communicate and, and feel similarly about the way that he wants to communicate and connect with players. I think you have to look for someone that has that level of emotional intelligence and, you know, one of the things he, he was sort of emphasizing, but maybe subtly emphasizing, was um, how young this team is and finding the right people to connect with them. Um, and so if I'm looking out there, I'm looking for a person who thinks the game similar to him, approaches people the same way as, as Lalone, you know, has the high emotional intelligence to handle a lot of different personalities and has the ability to connect with the, the younger core of this team. Because when you think about how this Red Wings team is going to be built, you know, yes, there's Dylan Larkin up front, but then the pieces on the back end that are going to be fixtures is Mo Sider and Simon Edvinson. And some the next coach really has to be able to, to have a big impact with those guys. So finding someone that can mold those guys into superstars is what's going to take this team to the next level. Well, first requirement, uh, clearly, is they must 
be bald, not a hair in sight. Uh, it's almost my time. It's simply my <laughs> <of> time. <laughs> um, my answer to this question is based on information that I just don't know. So I agree with Prashanth on they have to have the same approach to people that Lalone does. They have to be able to connect. They have to be able to communicate and they have to be able to help the young players grow. But my second thing that I would look for is if I were Lalone would be, what am I, what is my weakness as a coach and get someone to kind of offset that as best I could. So let's say Lalone is a great motivator. He's a great taskmaster and he's really good at correct, um, connecting with players but tactically on the ice, you know, not having been a head coach in the NHL, that might be his weakness. Don't know. We'll find out. So if you can find a, a guy to run the defensive zone who has been there, done that before, runs a really solid system, knows how to plan matchups, knows how to, you know, build a whatever, a defensive zone system, a transition system, whatever you want to call it, and, and have him let him run that end of it. And, you know, Lalonde obviously helps him with it. Um, that would be ideal. But in order for me to give the answer as to who that might be or what that might be, I'd have to know a little bit more about Lalonde to give that. But that's essentially what I would be looking for if I was Lalonde, would be a really good communicator and a really good offset from myself. And just because everything is about, uh, you know, relationships, I'm going to just throw David Carl's name in here uh, as a guy that would potentially be a great fit here if it does not end up being Jeff Halpern, uh, given that. Carl was brought on uh, after he was diagnosed with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, brought on as a student assistant coach at the University of Denver while uh, Lalone was an assistant there. And then when Lalone moved to the USHL and the Green Bay Gamblers, he brought David Carl with him as an assistant coach. And then ultimately Carl was hired back by the University of Denver midway through uh, the 13-14 season there. But they do have a prior experience working together. Carl was a defenseman projected to go in the second round before his diagnosis and obviously has done a tremendous job with the Denver hockey program. To me, he seems like a perfect fit. So I'm going to just throw that plug in there. Um, you know, if Steve, Steve is making his way around the podcast, uh, I'll just I'll just re-up that one right there. Yeah, Steve Steve opened his uh his presser by saying he hoped he didn't uh, ruin any holiday plans and he didn't. This is fun. This is a great way to spend uh spend the opening to holiday weekend and you know what? It's raining outside right now. So as much as I joke this this worked out perfectly. But yeah, Car- Carl is a great name uh to put out there and I know on the younger side so maybe pe- people thought it wouldn't be too likely for him to be named as head coach, but what an entry into the uh into the very insular world of NHL coaches, this would be, it would be a good foot in. Back to Lalone's, you know, personality and traits and Prashanth, you were sharing some quotes from folks who either uh, worked with him or played for him. And, you know, we talked about the, uh, the, the player's coach kind of thing where he, you said, someone said he went running with the player's dad each morning to learn more about that player. And, you know, he himself said communicator and relationship. So that's that's all at the forefront. But something else, and, and we might have touched on this a little bit already here, but just to dive more into it, he wants to hear the numbers. He's not purely a process, let's lock it down defensively here, the X and o, X's and O's. He wants to hear the numbers. He wants to feed into the overall picture with analytics. With the modern game, and, you know, as a prime example, look how Colorado just won the cup. How important is that to a team's success long term, do you view? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's tremendously important. And if you look at the teams that have been very successful in the last few years, uh, it's obviously not exclusively due to analytics, but it's teams that have 
been able to find that balance, the, the, the well-roundedness that I think every organization needs of, of hearing different voices and then having the right person in charge at the top to hear those different voices and then ultimately make the right decision. You know, Tampa has been a tremendous organization that's done that uh, with their uh, ability to marry the analytics department with their pro scouting department, with their amateur scouting department. Colorado is a tremendous example of that. Carolina has been a great example. Um, and so those are organizations that you sort of want to mimic uh, moving forward. And alone, having spent some time, you know, down in Tampa and then even previously, uh, when he was with the Iowa Wild, I believe they're the affiliate for the Minnesota Wild, who had sort of, again, made the jump, um, you know, into analytics for a bit of time there uh, when he that overlapped with his time. So I think ultimately he's a guy that appreciates different perspectives, wants to hear that uh, as he's going to make his decisions and sort of understands. And then really the part that we always forget when it comes to communication of numbers with with players is you can't walk up to a player and say your expected goals for percentage is 60 percent. That doesn't mean anything to them. And so having the having somebody who's willing to hear those numbers, but then can translate it into actual useful information for a player such as, hey, your expected goals for percentage is 60 percent. What we're noticing is you have a tendency to do this, which seems to lead to weaknesses here. And if we correct that, we think we can make your game a little bit better. Like that's what you're looking for. And so having that a buy-in as a head coach potentially will allow him to, to utilize those numbers maybe a little bit better than, than those that were um, opposed. And it's not that, like Jeff Blaschel is opposed. He's plenty of numbers. And, and particularly last year, if you listen to his press conferences, he often threw out numbers in there um, about what he was paying attention to. But it'll be interesting to see you know, how Lalone's approach is different and how he uh, ultimately communicates that. Yeah, when it was brought up uh, on Twitter um, originally that Lalone was uh, very analytics friendly, I had a few people ask me, they're like, what does that even mean for a coach? He's not going to be the one gathering the data and they'll give him the data, but what does he do with that? And the way I've always kind of viewed that from a coaching standpoint is it's essentially diagnosing a problem that he may not be visually able to see. Because I think people underestimate just how much shit happens in a game of hockey, how many different circumstances, plays, you know, and every every play is unique, right? And then you can take the data and notice trends. So if you're running this defensive zone system and this transition system, and you notice your zone exits are 40% across the board, that's a problem. You need to change that. If you're running, but in a different scenario, you're running it that same system and five of your six defensemen zone exit percentage is like 57%. And you go, that's fantastic. This one guy's at 42. Why? Now you can circle back, watch the video and examine what is that player doing wrong that's leading to him having such a lower success rate. And then, you know, now Lalone takes the data, takes it to film and then can look, examine, take it to the player hopefully solve the problem. Now I'm using defensive exits here, but there's a million ways this could apply, but this is where that could be truly valuable for the coach. Cause like Prashant said, if uh, Lalone went up to Lucas Raymond and said, yeah, your zone entry percentage is only 48 right now. What's going on? Raymond would laugh at him. Like what the hell are you talking about? What does that even mean? But if he goes, 
we've noticed that the team as a whole is having this much success doing this. And we examined the tape and all of a sudden we noticed you're doing X, Y, and Z that's leading to a lot of turnovers. Here's how we're going to correct that. That player should be, if they're not an asshole, super receptive to it, right? So it makes Lalone's job a lot easier because he doesn't have to watch eight hours of film to examine, to isolate a problem. He can watch an hour or two of film because all the data has said, this is where the problems are happening. All right. And we're going to wrap up here soon, but I want to talk about one thing, which is going to be, you know, a, a storyline with Lalone as much as the phrase of the process is going to be. And that's going to be, and we said it here today, he's come from success at every level. We've talked about his coach of the year accolades at the USHL and ECHL level. He's coached and been involved at every level from the NCAA to the NHL. He has titles with Green Bay in the USHL, which is actually when uh, Steve Eisman first met him. So it wasn't just purely in Tampa Bay and then was part of the 11 straight series wins, including two Stanley Cups with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Considering how we've seen the Red Wings slowly start to add talent, and now we evaluate the need for them to add the culture and the, the consistency and the winning habits, how tangibly important do you view it to have a coach who's been there and done that? Or do you think that's a little bit more wishy-washy in terms of how much of an effect it has on the room? I mean, my, my personal belief is that's that's just wishy-washy. You can win in the NHL in a number of different ways, like – it's not like every NHL head coach is cut from the same mold and that there's one right way to win a, you know, win the Stanley Cup. I mean, you look at the different you look at John Cooper coming from the background that he's come from and how successful he's been. It's to me, the, the, the trait that's in common is emotional intelligence, at least more recently um, in the coaches that are able to be great communicators. It's the it's the Mike Sullivan's. It's the it's the John Cooper's. It's those guys who can connect with their players um, and sort of understand what to do. It's not necessarily the Mike Keenans of the world that that's the way to go. So to me, having a guy that's coming in with a fresh approach, a fresh take um, with a young team that is on the rise, I actually really like the way that that plays out, given that we know Lalone is a, is a tremendous communicator. What I'll say is it doesn't hurt but it doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot, uh, especially at the lower levels. You see bigger imbalances in terms of, you know, how teams are built, successful teams, et cetera. I mean, Jeff Blashill is a serial winner, but before he got to the NHL and it didn't mean a whole hell of a lot. So I, I think it's good and it will be helpful for once the Red Wings are there and then you're kind of able to communicate in a little better. Hey, We've been, I've been here, done this. I know all you guys are hurting. I know all you guys are tired, but you know, here, this is what it takes. This is what we wanted. This is how we get through whatever that speech might sound like. And those talks might sound like, but yeah, I don't think it matters a whole hell of a lot, but it's better to have been a winner than a consistent loser, but translating up levels, it's not a deal breaker. All right, folks, Derek Lalone officially hired as the newest head coach of the Detroit Red Wings. The newest head coaching era is upon us. Uh, we work to bring you this emergency podcast today. So thank you to Prashant Iyer for joining us on the show. Uh, there's going to be plenty more to come. Like we mentioned last episode, Monday is the next episode, and that is going to be the draft preview. But we'll have more Lalone talk in there as well as any other news that's come out. So thank you all for tuning in. Enjoy your long weekends if you have one. 
Uh, happy Canada Day to those who partake. Happy upcoming uh, 4th of July. And uh, let's see what Derek Malone does in Hockey Town. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.